You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country. Hi everyone, Annie here for Showreel, looking at aspects of the Australian moving image world, and today we get to speak to a filmmaker responsible for the very elegantly made and gripping film Disclosure, which is coming out on the home entertainment platform. Disclosure is about a socially disturbing subject, the fallout when a young child discloses sexual abuse at the hands of another child who is the offspring of family friends. An amazing film because of its tight focus on the emotions of the unravelling adults who come to metaphorical blows as they strive to gain their social equilibrium with one family trying to skirt the actual issue of the assault and the other demanding an appropriate response to deal with the assault. High-octane production, scripting and performances. I was keen to talk to the Michael Brenton who about the film because of its sheer elegance and calibrated control on the subject. This is what he had to say. Very stylish film. Uh, I was very intrigued by it. Did, did you write it as well as direct it? I did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about how you approached the subject? Sure. Well, it's, it all started with uh, something that happened to some really good friends of mine um, whose, whose young child made a disclosure that another child um, had assaulted her. And, 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 and then to see what then happened to them. And um, as a father myself, I was really appalled by the treatment that the family received from from other people and, and 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 from institutions as well and at the time i just thought oh, it was one of, it was a kind of one off uh, uh, odd event but um i started to just do a little bit of cursory research around the subject and discover that um this is actually a really big and growing problem pro- uh, growing issue um and particularly researched by people like the late Frieda Briggs, um, who had, who's done a big meta-analysis, who did a big meta-analysis of, of, of this particular problem. So that kind of piqued my interest a little bit. So I started digging a little deeper and, and doing a little bit more reading. And then one thing that I think really, uh, really spoke to me as a storyteller was a pattern in the research which showed that lots of the uh, families whose child had made an, an allegation of this kind were very often driven out of their community, felt that they couldn't stay in their communities, were kind of driven out of their communities by the families of the perpetrator um, who, in, uh, in, in defending their child, go on the attack um, and um, get their 
friends to support them and, and, and possibly even in, in, um, institutions like schools um, if they have that kind of influence. And I thought that, so you, what you've effectively got there is a, is a mini witch hunt. And this is happening time and time again in different community, communities, not just in, in Australia, you know, across the world. And I thought that was, I thought that the idea of the, the witch hunt, the contemporary witch hunt as a storyteller was fascinating. So that was the moment I think I thought, why well, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a film about this. This is your first feature, but you've actually worked on films before. And I noticed you're a producer on a, a film that was basically a, a comic depiction of a, a, a point of, um, moral dilemma really border patrol yeah 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 which yeah, is, yeah. which is quite clearly a um uh, an ethical dilemma but but which was uh inconvenient an inconvenient uh, uh ethical dilemma basically to- told in a comic way um while uh you then moved on to uh mowing the lawn as a director now, and what I found so fascinating about Disclosure was not just the way you uh, told the story uh, and the story that you were telling, but the economy with which you did it and the uh, visceral nature of the um, of the power struggle, uh, which is almost uh, musical in a sense. I mean, you've got a very deft touch. Thank you. Thank you. Um... And my background also in music, funny enough. So um, it's uh, I've always I've always seen film as a, as a musical medium. Um, and in fact, when I studied composition, I, I studied uh, composition, uh, electronic composition. This is this is going back now to when we were still working with magnetic tape. So when you were composing, you were using reel-to-reel machines, and then and then splicing the magnetic tape. So you were literally cutting lengths of time. Yeah. Um, and the process in film is almost identical. You're, you're cutting lengths of time in order to in order to build up a narrative and to build up themes and to build up rhythm. Um, so I've always seen film as a as a very musical as a musical medium, basically. So um, and 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 it's interesting. The same language is kind of used. So people critics have talked about this film being a chamber piece um, because it's a four hander, talking about a quartet, <laughs> um, referring to the four actors. So. Yeah, the same language gets banded around, which is interesting. The uh, people that you get to act in it are pretty uh, fantastic. Tell us about how you got your crew. Um, So it started off with a short film. So, you know, I've been over from the UK not not that long. So I was, you know, I had some, I had some contacts, but very few. Um, And I knew some Australian actors, but again, my knowledge was, was pretty limited. And um, and I happened to see a short film directed by um, a young director, Sunday Emerson Gulliver. And the short film had uh, Mark Leonard Winter, who's a very established um, actor in it. And it also had um, Matilda Ridgway. And at the time when I was, I was kind of looking at different Australian actors thinking, well, okay, who, who can I get to play the role of Emily? I really didn't have, a, I have an idea. I had no idea who, who would, who could um, pull that particular character off? And I saw this short film for tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, and I thought Matilda was absolutely knockout. And I thought, yeah, she'd make an amazing Emily. So that was my starting point. And then Sunday agreed to come on as casting director, and she got me a meeting with Martin Winter. Mark read the script, loved it, said he was on board. Matilda the same. So that was kind of the starting point. So we had Matilda and Mark attached, 
Um, and then it's through discussions with those guys um, that I was introduced to Geraldine Hakewell, who plays Beck, and Tom Wren, who, who plays Joel, the, the politician. And what was really, really key about that particular ensemble cast was being a low-budget film, the, one, of the really, one of the biggest impacts low-budget low has is on time. So we had very little time to shoot the film. We shot it in three weeks, which is, by any standards, you know, is, 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 is insanely short period of time to shoot a feature film. So we didn't have the rehearsal time. We didn't have the time during the shoot to really take four actors who didn't know each other through this process of, of convincing an audience that they, that they were friends and that they were couples. Um, so what these four actors, this is one of the, this is one of the, um, the, the, the decision-making part of the decision-making process was knowing that these four actors had all worked together and were all friends. So they brought that connection to the table already. Um, and, um, and they, uh, yeah, and I, and I think as an ensemble, they, they are absolutely extraordinary. Um, and you can, you can really see that, you know, they, they, they bring that, that connection already. And then, you know, all, each of the, each of the, the grasp they had on each, on each of their um, characters is, is, is fantastic, which is, um, which just shows, cal- you know, the caliber of, of, of their individual um, artistry. It's a, you know, I, I was so, so incredibly honored to, to work with such, such an amazing cast. Yeah. Yeah. They were really fantastic. And you're exactly mm. right. I mean, the way that the film doesn't have any sense of it being low budget, even though, of course, it's in a uh, uh, one, uh, it's shot in one place, and uh, which actually the place it has got a personality of its own. It's quite yeah. amazing. Uh, you were very lucky to get such a fantastic fishbowl kind of uh, elegance out of that uh, space. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, and. Once we knew we had that location, um, I, I started to introduce aspects of that location into the script. Uh, so, for example, I, and, and this, this, this was one extraordinary thing about the location was you had this pool which looked like it had dropped out of um, uh, Greece or, or, or Spain or somewhere. Um, and, and there it was um, in, the, in the Dandenong Ranges. And literally a stone's throw from that pool was a creek and you had this thick bush of, um, you know, huge mountain ashes and, 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 and that fallen, you know, the, the, the part fallen tree was, was there, um, having broken, broken up the, um, the boardwalk and these beautiful tree ferns. And I love that contrast, that contrast in, 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 um, in landscape and the fact they were sitting right next to each other. And so I, I incorporate, incorporated that into the script. Yeah, yeah, it, it has a sort of uh, strangely unnerving aspect to it, as well mm. as the natural world and the contrived world of the, the household, which actually yeah. is the perfect mirror to the uh, social, uh, the unreality, unreality of the social situation that was unravelling. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And the other thing I wanted to, again, this is, this is a little bit subliminal, and I, and I wouldn't expect viewers to really pick up on this, but I was very interested in, in this idea of trauma scape. Um, so there's a, there's a, uh, a Melbourne based writer, Maria Chimarkin, and she's written about this, this idea of trauma scapes, this idea that the landscape holds past traumas. Mm. Um, and I was really interested in, in. Oh, and of course, Australia is a master of that. 
Absolutely. And I'm walking around this landscape thinking, what trauma does this landscape hold? And and here are these, you know, relatively recent um, European settlers with their, you know, Spanish swimming pools and, and the rest of it. Um, and I just thought that was, yeah, you, you kind of get a, you get a visceral sort of palpable sense of that when you're walking around this landscape. And I wanted, I, I, I don't know, I don't know how much that comes through, but clearly, you know, the trauma that these, these, um, these two couples are experiencing, you know, in, in a contemporary setting, um, the idea was that kind of resonated with it, with this deeper kind of trauma scape, um, which, which, which is a stage on, on which they play out their own particular, um, um, problem issue, if you like. Uh, well, uh, the thing about it is uh, one of the things that's got such depth in this, I mean, the story is uh, horrifying. I mean, this happening to people is a horrifying idea, this happening to your yeah. child. So, of course, the person thinking, oh, uh, to watch this film, do I really want to watch this horrifying film? Uh, yeah. But in actual fact, but I was really quite awe-inspired by the... Um, a way you were able to spin out the story and the emotion in in a way that made it uh, compelling. You know what I mean? I, 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 uh, it's a funny thing to say because, of course, the nub of it is compelling, but it's the sort of uh, story where you sort of go, oh, look away, look away, it's too bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but I mean, you, I mean, yeah. I mean, one, one of the genres, I mean, as, as a filmmaker who's been around for a while, I mean, one of the genres I'm... Um, I I really I've got a bit of a love affair with is the thriller, and and a, and quite a few critics who have reviewed this film have noted thriller tropes in it, and 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 you know that's that's a very conscious thing I've done because I want as a storyteller I want the story to I don't I don't want to be just spooning um, a, a discourse about a pressing social issue down people's throats. I mean, I could go and make, you know, I don't know, go and make a, a, a factual show about that um, to, to, to raise that. And that, that's not what I'm about. What I want is to tell a story that's absolutely compelling and gripping. Um, and so I use things like thriller tropes to, to ratchet up tension and to create, you know, basically to create dramatic tension. So, um so yeah I, I would say to an audience you know w w what you should get from this yes it, it possibly it's going to be triggering and possibly it's going to be confronting in terms of the subject matter um and i know that certain audience members have been who've you know had experiences themselves um from from their childhood have been triggered it, it, but in an interesting way so they've come up to me after the film like i had uh, there was a screening in newcastle um, and uh, a woman there came up to me afterwards and and hugged me and thanked me for making the film. And she had had an experience, a similar experience when she was a child. She had not, she had never told anyone. And she was now in the sixties. And, and, and I, so for her, it had been a deeply cathartic experience. So obviously, that's you know that's uh, that's one kind of uh, um, part of a potential audience you know who, who the film might be triggering for in some. But ultimately, you know, your, your general audience. Um, I would hope would we yeah, will come into the film and just just be gripped by the story, um, and and um, I, 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 the, the, our American distributor when he, when they first saw the film, he was convinced there was going to be a dead body at the end, <laughs> which is which is probably you know that is a reference to the thriller tropes. You know, I'm setting the story up in a way where where he was thinking, oh, there's something really terrible is going to happen here, um, 
Um, which and, which know, had and, happened, uh, had actually happened, which is really yeah, interesting, and, isn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but you know, that's that that that's what I'm interested in as a as a as a narrative fiction filmmaker. I'm interested in in, in gripping an audience and, and getting them to, getting them on the edge of their seat. Well, you certainly did. Um, I, and also I found the, I, I'm sure the actors must have really, I mean, actors like to act. And these are really, really experienced actors. So they were very um, uh, well known to me. And um, they must have enjoyed this experience, I imagine. Yeah. Um, Mark, I, I just listened to an interview that, that Mark Leonard Winter um, has done and he was he was he was providing some kind of kind of ca- candid insights in, into the process. So one of the things he talked about because because we constructed this aesthetic, and this is partly again about the, the pressure of budget. We wanted the film to have a really strong look. If, if, it's very difficult to pull it off if, if, if you're trying to do uh, what, what we call standard coverage, you know, kind of the, the Hollywood studios sort of coverage. Um, so we decided to go down this route, which is a very high risk route of, of having these very long developing shots, where you'd hold a shot for maybe. I think some of those shots will last seven or eight minutes, and you're not editing at all. Now that puts a gigantic pressure on 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 the actor because they can't. There's no point where they can say, "Oh, oh yes, you know, I fluffed that line, but that's fine because you're going to do that in the close-up, aren't you? Or you're going to do that in the mid shot." You know, there were no mid shots. There were no close-ups. It's like you had to get that right from the beginning to the end of that seven-minute take. There's nowhere to edit. There's nowhere to hide. Um, so it made, as, as Mark Leonard Winter said, it made him feel very exposed. Um, and very vulnerable, but that was a good thing. But it was just very high risk because <laughs> there were so many possibilities for that going wrong. And and for us to get into the edit and go, wow, you know, that particular scene that lasts seven minutes dips in the middle and there's nothing we can do about it. Mm, that's, um, it so, that, that's really interesting because it sort of uh, mm. it makes it, uh, clarifies an element that I felt, that, I mean, it was about this idea of documentary but as fused with uh, feature which is sort of almost hitch uh, funnily enough it's a bit hitchcockian isn't it and it's also a little uh, it's like a blending of hitchcock with uh mike is it uh, you know uh, when i was six yeah yeah so i think there is a, a again i think a couple of people have uh, a couple of critics have said have talked about that kind of observational idea so it's like almost I, I don't think i ever had in my head oh yes this is going to be like observational documentary um but yeah that kind of but holding the camera up um, to to a group of characters and just holding that camera and holding it and holding it and holding it and not cutting away that you know that is what observation documentary makers do. So I kind of now see w- where that comparison comes from. And what the other really interesting thing actually is that is that Mark Carey, the cinematographer, has got a huge amount of experience as a documentary maker, and that's one of the reasons that um, I thought he'd be really good for this particular film because again because we had a lack of time um we needed we needed someone who could um uh, who could work really quickly um and you know had a kind of uh, a can-do attitude which is which is what mark's got um but yeah and i i kind of see that now that that uh you i can i can see why that that idea that it's it's got this kind of observational quality to it but also, uh, since you're the writer, that's why I asked you whether you're the writer as well. There's actually no falsity in the language that the dialogue. It's very, uh, um, oh, what's that horrible word? Authentic. Yeah, what, I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted the the dialogue to 
the way that it's received by the audience, I wanted them to to really feel like these people were real. Um, and obviously, to do that, you know, if you start if you start moving into a more stylized place with the dialogue or with the with the performative elements or whatever, then then you you start to lose that. And the reason I wanted to do that was was because this is inspired by by um, actual events and it's and it's drawn from actual research and it's about an issue that part of the reason for making the film is to raise the profile of the issue. Um, so I, I wanted um, I wanted to convey that sense of authenticity um, or you know whatever word we want to use to 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 those moments and what was and 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 what's been really I guess heartening and, and kind of affirming is that um, we've had a number of people come to Q and A screenings who um, who are involved for example in social work in fact there's two people I think one in, one woman in the states I remember and I think another might be Newcastle again um, social workers who have worked in this particular area in child protection who came up to me afterwards and said, you got this spot on. This is exactly how it plays out. Yeah, this sort of denial. Yeah, yeah. And saying, you know, and, and you know, all those, the, the, the interactions, the, the, the kind of motivations that are driving each, the, the person, the, the family who are the family of, of the, who have received the allegation and then the family who have, who have the child who has made the allegation um, just saying, yeah, you've got, you know, you've got the the, the toxicity of that spot on. I, I found um, it really fascinating the um, the way we would, as the audience, we were we conspired because there, you were made us conspire because of the way we had to decide if it was really true or not true. We went through the whole journey, you know, yeah. like as these people started to fabricate a. Uh, um, uh, 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 a counter argument and then mm. at the end when the uh, older stateswoman the mother return comes mm. it all changes doesn't it it, it, it mm. was the power relations within families it, it doesn't matter how glitzily you're dressed it's uh, mm. very it's quite primeval uh, mordial isn't it yeah 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 fascinating how did it play out in um, Palms, you took, you've already taken it to Palm Springs International Film Festival and the Biennale, um, and then of course there's been this hiatus with the COVID, but uh, yeah. uh, how, how did it go in those venues? Um, well, Palm Springs was, uh, was that, that was our world premiere, and and that was, that was really interesting. So we, we had three screenings there, at the very first screening, it was a sold out um, sold out theatre and uh, um, Jane Sheldall who was a programmer who had selected the film to to be screened right before I went on to introduce the film she just turned to me and said I don't know how this film's going to land with an, with a North American audience <laughs> like, oh wow that's really put, um, put my nerves to rest <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so I was kind of sat down there in a kind of semi-state of terror thinking um it was going to be rejected by the North American audience, but um, but I actually spent a lot of time in in America, and I know how vocal and and how just you just get this amazing kind of visceral sense of connection from from American audiences in, in, in the cinema. It's so it's so embedded in their culture, and and so I was I was I was yeah I was really looking forward to the response, and the response was absolutely 
it was incredible. It was a response to die for, and this audience, you know, gasping and shouting and, <laughs> and uh, uh, the characters on the screen. I mean, just amazing. And uh, yeah, that is a real that's a real North American response, and it was it was amazing to to have that kind of feedback. Um, and and then that was followed by by the reviews from. Um, that you know that, that followed that premiere and again like reviews to die for it was yeah it was, very it was stylish very, film it was very affirming it was yeah it was really good uh, what yeah. about the biennale because that's completely different kind of audience yeah well so i wasn't there that was uh, the producer who took it to biennale and that was mainly to get um because they had the european film market there that was um to basically uh try and drum up um european um interest in the film and um, what was really problematic, as, as, as you hinted at just a minute uh, minutes ago, was um, COVID was about, COVID was already raising its ugly head, but it was, a, it was about to really hit as hard. Um, so we got a sales agent in, in, um, in Berlin um, and by mid 2020, it was all, the, the, everything was falling apart. Um, so you know, the theatrical release in, you know, in North America didn't happen um, because of because of of the way that yeah the pandemic was impacting North America. Then everything fell apart in Europe. <laughs> so we feel kind of blessed that we, you know, so there was a moment mid twenty twenty where where I think we were just thinking, well, that's that, that's, that's the end of our film. Um, I'm feeling really very despondent about it all. Um, but we, it's had a new lease of life. Um, in this year um, and it had an Australian theatrical release which um, our Australian distributor Bonsai managed to navigate through all the lockdowns um, so you know we released in we had a pretty extensive release in Melbourne and then we released in Adelaide um, we had a screening in Sydney we didn't release in Sydney we had a screen in Sydney but then then Sydney Travelling Film Festival picked the film up and has taken it through all the theatres through regional New South Wales which has been amazing um, Kind of amazing roadshow, if you like. Again, has, has now been scuppered by by what's happening in New South Wales and of course the you know the, the new lockdown in Melbourne. So it's been really hard. It's been really hard, but there have been these these moments where we have felt blessed that the film. You know, we felt blessed that the film had a premiere. Yeah, yeah. Um, to a, to a live audience in North America, because I, I you know I, my heart goes out to to those filmmakers who were sitting just behind us in terms of their production um their, their post-production that because they they wouldn't have had a film to premiere at, a festival to premiere at yes that's right um, but it's now going online isn't it mm. i mean it, it's got it's had a uh, a new release on yeah the, so yeah. so it's had a theatrical release here um and now madman um are with bonsai are releasing it um so this is the next stage of the australian release is, is what they call the home entertainment release so Basically, the film from today will be available to rent on all the major platforms. Um, and, and if you're still, you know, if people are still um, interested in buying DVDs, you, um, it's, it's, uh, there's a DVD as well. Yeah, um, okay. Which, um, you'll be able to purchase from, from various outlets. Well, there's one thing about the lockdowns. Yeah, people have been uh, uh, foraging wi uh, uh, far and wide on the... Um, on the internet for different uh, releases, so you know. Absolutely, and I think what you know, this is something that, that there's been a bit of a discussion about, and I think it is really interesting that 
the in terms of our theatrical release, for example, which started in Melbourne, was um, the fact that the the studios, the American studios, were, were holding and, and the British studios were holding the the big blockbusters, the English language blockbusters, back. And so those big films were simply not in the theatres. And what was really interesting was then to see Australian content, you know, most notably, for example, is probably The Dry, going into those Australian cinemas and seeing what the audience would do, whether the audience would go, okay, um, no, we're not interested in this, or or actually, to, you know, to, to, to see what the audience interest was. And, and I think the audience's response to... Australian content was it was fantastic and and it wasn't just to Australian films that kind of ticked certain genre boxes but the fact that there was a real strong audience for more challenging films possibly possibly like Disclosure uh, where we were we were selling we were selling out theatres uh, night after night um, and that was and that was a, a really good indicator to show that the audience is there for, for these kind of films. So that was a, that was an opportunity. It was good. I'm I'm really interested to see what you do next because you're obviously a really great filmmaker. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for talking to me. Oh, thank you so much, Annie. It was a pleasure. That's it for Showreel for this week. We've been talking to Michael Brentham about his film Disclosure, now available on Home Entertainment. Until next week, keep safe and uh, keep listening. Sometimes when this place gets kind of empty Sound of their breath fades with the light I think about the loveless fascination Under the Milky Way tonight
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.